0: These people really communicate in a different way and and that's okay, it's not wrong, it's just different. So understanding the, I guess, things that are important to them and and what's happening in their world and and bringing it back to to user-friendly information is is really critical for these people. They don't want, uh, you know, 15 pages of theory behind it. They want, what are the tin tacks? What is actually what we can do? What can't we do? How do we approach this? So, keeping it practical, rural people tend to be really practical and I think that's the the way I explain it to them is a practical approach and and they really love that up.
1: Today we welcome Mary O'Brien from Are You Bogged Mate? Mary's all about boosting awareness and starting conversations with men in rural areas, getting them to talk about their mental health. Mary's got a long history in agriculture, she's actually one of the leading experts on spray drift in the country But this work she's doing with men's mental health in regional areas is really important. She makes an incredible amount of sense and our chat with Mary is well worth your time. All the links to Are You Bogged Mate and Mary's work in that space will be found on the show notes on the Wine Grape Council website.
2: Welcome to Healthy Minds, Healthy Vines, the wellbeing podcast for growers, proudly brought to you by the Wine Grape Council of South Australia, sponsored by PERSA. Hosted by... Journalist and award-winning mental health podcaster Callum
1: McPherson. And columnist for The Australian and The World of Fine Wine and Australia's leading wine writer when sold by The Kilo, Nick Ryan. Let's crush this. Mary, how did are you Bogged Mate get started?
0: Unfortunately, it started on the back of two suicides in my local area, which rocks the community. These things have a, a quite a big ripple effect throughout the community and the region, to be honest. So it was, I guess, the the shock of of two suicides within three weeks over a Christmas period that really rattled me and made me start asking questions about mental health and particularly with men. Um, given that my work was taking me around Australia to, mainly to men, I thought I should know something about this. So I went on a bit of a mission to upskill myself and learn a bit more about it. And everything I read I didn't really like, so I simply sat down and wrote an opinion piece, um, just an article, and told people what I thought. And turns out a few people agreed with me. So it just started organically from writing that article. I never set out to to create an organisation or do anything with this. It was really just an opinion piece that, that kicked it all off.
2: So what was it that wasn't working, which you saw, and then the, the gap that you're addressing?
0: I guess it was that uh, disconnect between the, the professional services or the mainstream approach to mental health, and suicide and the, the rural male demographic that I'm so familiar with. So I, that whole means of communication, the the way things are presented to them and and the language used just wasn't cutting through.
2: So when you ask, are you bogged, mate, what do you mean?
0: So I, I've used that analogy of getting bogged to be like mental health and depression, and I think you know, people in, in rural areas certainly identify with that. Uh, that a lot of the time we can get ourselves through those sticky patches, but when it, we get really bogged, we actually have to ask someone for help, and that's not always easy to do. It's, it's quite a difficult thing to do sometimes. So I, that analogy, and I use a lot of other analogies in my presentation, really seems to resonate. It's it's simple language, people understand getting bogged, and you know how how hard it is to sometimes ask for help. So. I think that's what's really giving me a little bit more cut through than some of the the mainstream approaches, which um, I will fairly openly say are a bit fluffy and a bit sugar coated. So yeah, that's I guess it's a it's a grassroots on the ground approach that I take.
2: What is the importance of language in in connecting with people out on the land and and framing it in a in a certain light and. Why does that make such a big impact to the message getting through?
0: These people really communicate in a different way and, and that's okay. It's not wrong, it's just different. So understanding the, I guess, things that are important to them and, and what's happening in their world and, and bringing it back to, to user-friendly information is, is really critical for these people. They don't want, uh, you know, 15 pages of theory behind it. They want what are the tin tacks, what is actually what we can do, what can't we do, how do we approach this? so keeping it practical, rural people tend to be really practical and I think that's the the way I explain it to them is a practical approach and and they really lap that
2: up. Suicide rates are high among men throughout our whole society. Why is it a different issue for country blokes compared to men in the city?
0: Yeah, Suicide is a major issue for for men in this country right across the spectrum. Men account for 76% of the suicides in Australia and the i guess that that tunnel vision or that one size fits all approach doesn't work and men in, in the country tend to be probably that quintessential stoic Aussie male we're also dealing with so we so because of that i guess that representation that they are that stoic tough bloke in in the bush that they don't really have that help help seeking behaviour that we might find a little bit more commonly in metropolitan areas. And they don't want to admit that weakness. So it's it's really important that we that we frame it in a in a user-friendly way. But access to services is a massive thing in rural areas. So getting in to see someone to talk about this stuff is very difficult. And I think for a lot of these men that going from their comfort zone into a clinical situation is really difficult and really hard because it's not where they're comfortable talking and it's not the approach that works for these men. So men tend to communicate shoulder to shoulder rather than face to face. So being able to to get out on the ground and have those conversations, leaning on the back of the ute or around a fire or somewhere where these blokes are comfortable, it's amazing the stuff that, um, you know, the stuff that they will open up about when they would never do that in a clinical situation.
2: When do you see them open up? Is that a something that's progressive that takes takes a while to, to get to that point or do you see people get there straight away and what sort of a lasting impact does that have on them? I'm sure you, you end up building relationships with people that you see again and again. How have you seen people open up and then start to change the way they communicate in regard to suicide and, and mental health and, and just talking about how they're feeling?
0: Yeah, look, some of them actually do it really quickly and and we've got this society that sort of man bashes I guess and says men don't do this and they do this wrong and they won't talk about their feelings and they won't open up but the, the amount of men who come straight up to me after I've finished my talk and they will just put their hand out and shake my hand and say you know my name's Bob and I've been bogged or and they will just start telling that story others will be a little bit more reserved about it and talk around the edges of it but they will tell you the story so I guess it's it's working to the strengths and weaknesses of, of how they communicate and, yeah, and then particularly that shoulder-to-shoulder communication. I find it quite interesting because in my talk I, I talk about the uh, shoulder-to-shoulder communication quite a fair bit and then they come straight up to me, look me in the eye, shake my hand, and immediately turn to the side <laughs> and and communicate shoulder-to-shoulder. So it's, um, you know, I've just told them they do that and then they just come up and do it. It's, um, <laughs> It is very significant for men and particularly rural men. So watching them unload or unpack that story is pretty powerful stuff because you can physically see their shoulders lift. It's like this weight is taken off them. And, you know, often there's a change in their voice, this, this, yeah, this big weight that they've been carrying for so long and they've never told another living soul is suddenly just a little bit lighter. Certainly some of those things are never going to go away. But we learn to manage them a bit better, and if I can help them in any tiny way with that, that's a great thing. It's nice to hear the feedback from some guys that I have had chats with, or big chats with, or phone communication with, to see them six months down the road that they're, you know, they've managed to to get their life in a better place and and themselves in a better place, and and that's pretty rewarding stuff.
1: Mary, you talk about you know, some guys are can find it easier to open up but then there are others who talk around the issue. How important is it to have experienced ears hearing for you know the signs that can be picked up when someone's talking around the issue?
0: I think anybody can really pick it up if they learn to listen and I think that's a pretty important skill in this space that when people start talking about going through a rough patch, it's it's asking those leading questions so... Uh, leading questions are questions that require an explanation answer. They're not questions that require a yes or no. So a question that's closed requires yes or no answer. So when you ask a leading question, if they say something about, oh, work's been a bit rough lately. And so things like, oh well, tell me a little bit more about that, what's been happening there, what what's going on in that space, and that that can lead them into a little bit more depth and and being able to expand on this the simple statement of, yeah, work's been a bit crap lately. So they you expand on that and basically tease it out for them or let them tease it out but give them that space to do so. One of the other things I talk about in male communication is being able to sit into that silence and and not be able to fill it with words and to make that space so they can say, yeah, things have been crap at work or at home and and. Yeah, tell me a bit more about that, and making that silence for them to to fill with their words rather than, you
2: know, the
0: person that they're offloading to.
2: How has are you bogged mate been able to help with this issue overall? It seems like you, you do a whole lot all over the place, but what sort of initiatives or things in particular, like are you, are you teaching these skills to men? Not so much what to ask about, but how to ask it. How are you getting through to people?
0: I think the, the biggest thing that I do is, is take away the scary and I don't even know how to explain that in a better way but I think there's so much talk about mental health and all of these technical words and jargon and stuff like that and sometimes people are worried that they might say the wrong thing or they don't know how to phrase it in the acceptable manner so I think what I do is just peel all that away and say there really is no wrong way to talk about this. And, you know, I do get blokes who, who say, well, my mate has said he wants to take his life. What do I do with that? So we work through some of those things. We, I really tend to leave that sort of stuff for the questions if they want to ask those questions how to deal with that. One of the things I focus on mainly is let's not get bogged. So, what are the strategies that anyone can implement, not just men, but I do focus on the men. But what can we do to not get ourselves bogged down, and how to manage our our mental health? Uh, but I talk about buckets. I don't, I don't talk about mental health. I talk about buckets. You've got a bucket, and life dumps crap in it. And at some point you need to be able to get most of that out and empty that out. So it's taking time out for yourself and managing those stresses and those things that happen to us before it becomes a big festering problem. But it's, it's important that they spend time with other men and, and women need to spend time with other women as well. Sure, we need to do lots of things together as mixed groups, but one of the key things that men in society today, I believe, sort of, it's frowned upon for men to have men things, like for blokes to do stuff together. And I think that's a, a really critical part of managing their mental health. And, and we have a society that celebrates women doing things together and having, you know, female only things. So to me, it's it's only fair that the men get to do the same. And I think it's, it's a very important part of, of managing their mental health is spending time with those people around them, their mates their family, whoever it is that they might offload to and empty that bucket and, and you know, control some of those stresses or at least share them and get some advice or uh, before it becomes a big problem in their life, I think.
1: How difficult is it working, you know, with isolation in these situations? It's not like you can, in a lot of cases, can't just, you know, pop down to the, you know, around the corner to see a mate and catch up. We're talking about people who might be separated by significant distance, are there ways that we can make that distance you know, disappear?
0: Yeah, I think certainly communication is is a major part of it and we hear a lot of mainstream services talk about that isolation in rural areas and I don't really think the isolation is a big problem until they have a problem and people who live in, in rural areas really, they enjoy the isolation. They like being out on their farms or properties or stations but it is important for them to also have contact with other people, whether that's with the, the people working on the station or the farm, whether that is with their community, and they have to make that time to do so. And I think it becomes a problem when people in in isolated areas don't make that time for themselves and for their family to go to events. So if there is an event on, make the time to go to it and, and have some downtime and and get to spend time with other people and communicate and when they do have a problem and they're isolated, that's when isolation becomes a problem. And certainly access to services in rural areas is is quite a big thing. And some of these guys are waiting, you know, three, four, five, six months to get in to see a counsellor or a psychologist if they want to go down that track. But we do have a lot of services that are going into rural areas now, but still some very long waiting lists in a lot of places that I visit. So avoiding getting bogged in the first place is is probably one of the the key things it doesn't matter what health condition we talk about early detection and prevention is always the best option so identifying when you you know possibly need a break when do i need to take a week off or a you know a fishing trip or a, a golfing weekend or whatever it is that you do to empty that bucket and to relax so avoiding getting into that that sticky
2: situation You've got an emphasis on helping blokes to know how to be there for a mate. What part does mateship play in all this?
0: I think mateship's a huge thing right across Australia, in, in all parts of Australia. And I think uh, we talk about, you know, Aussies and, and mates, and I think that's ingrained in, in our culture, that it's it's a huge thing. And and maybe that uh, that does come from some of the isolated areas, that our mates are super important to us and, If we bog a machine, we need our mates to come and give us a hand to pull it out and it's the same with with anything we go through in life and I think relying on our our mates, whether that's our family or our, you know, friends or whomever it is in in our world that we consider to be our mates and having a couple of good mates or at least one that you can sit down and have that conversation and say, look, I'm, I'm a bit bogged at the moment and this is why and just talking through it with somebody somebody that you trust, somebody that's that's there for you, that's not going to make you feel bad about it and ashamed about it because there is nothing to be ashamed of. Every single person gets a little bit bogged at some stage and that's, I guess, normalising it is one of the things I do is everyone is going to be there at some stage, whether it's for an hour, a day, a year, a week, doesn't matter. Everyone's going to need a hand
2: from their mates at some point. So bait ship's a huge part of it. What stops blokes having that conversation?
0: I think it's that it's ingrained in their DNA, unfortunately. Um, well, not unfortunately. I think it's actually one of the the really good things about blokes is that that strong, tough, uh, protector-provider thing that's ingrained in them since the beginning of time, and that that does play a role in this. That they don't have that help-seeking behaviour, but they will talk about this stuff. And I guess that's that's one of the things when I talk to groups of women these men do talk about this stuff they just talk about it in a different way because men and women communicate differently so being able to make them feel in in that you know that easy spot where they they are comfortable to talk about it and and they won't talk about it with everybody and it's finding somebody that they know they can trust and sometimes that's not their partner or their wife and and sometimes that's from the conversations I have with men, that is because they are still in that protector-provider role and if, you know, for example, I've had men say to me, I'm lying awake at 2 o'clock in the morning worrying about this, but I don't want to tell her because I don't want her to be lying awake at 2 o'clock in the morning worrying about it. One of us is enough. So they sometimes don't tell the person closest to them for you know, that simple reason of that they just want to protect them from this. So making sure that they have time with their mates, that they may open up to and talk about this is a critical thing for blokes, I think.
2: And what do you tell their mates on the receiving end of that, how to take that on and what to say or what not to say?
0: Look, I don't think there is anything that you shouldn't say. What I do say to them is try not to go into that, oh, yeah, I've, I've got all this crap going on too you know, your turn to tell your story is another time. When you have a mate who is really trying to open up and talk about this stuff, just lean into it. Just sit into the silence and let them talk. Let them tell their story. You don't have to identify with it. You don't have to top it. You don't have to have a worse story, a similar story. Just listen to theirs. And that is probably the only thing that that anybody needs to do for someone who is going through a tough time. And The thing is with the the signs and symptoms and what to look out for, we're looking for changes. We're looking for anything that's different. And and we know inherently when something is not right with our mates, with our family, with our work colleagues, we know that, you know, so-and-so is just not themselves lately. So it's watching for any of those signs and then making that space and sit into that silence. And one of the things I tell ladies is that two men can sit in a boat and fish all day and say mm-hmm. six words, yet still they have been there for each other they have communicated and they've, you know, had that bond and that mateship. And I think uh, women find that quite difficult to understand because they, you know, the bloke might come home from fishing and, and she says, well, what did you talk about? And he says, nothing. We well, have talked about something. No. <laughs> it's understanding that, yeah, two men can sit there and boat and fish all day and still empty their bucket and, and heal and grieve and share that mateship without filling it with words. It's, it's something that women find very difficult to do.
2: <laughs> How do you go taking all this on? I know it's very heavy and very close to your heart and you do a lot of good, but quite intense to hear all these stories all the time and have people confide in you and then have the stress of, of travel and it's not an easy thing you do. How do you look after yourself?
0: Yeah, I certainly do get to have some, some pretty heavy conversations. But most of the time I I find that so rewarding that they've trusted me to have that conversation or they felt comfortable enough to do that when they've just met me. I think that's amazing. Uh, I have to have, you know, my own bucket that life puts my, you know, stuff in my bucket. But when they decide to empty their bucket to me, I can't let it go into mine. And I think that's the, the trick is I can still listen I can still hear and I can still empathise but I can't take that on because it's not my crap in my bucket, it's their crap in their bucket. So I have what I call a shit shoot and so (laughs) that stuff that they tell me goes into that little shoot and it goes past me. I have to let that go past because if I took on all of the, the stories that I hear, I wouldn't be in a very good way at all. So some of those stories are so impactful that I say that you know sometimes I get a bit of splatter, even though I'm trying to put it down that chute. There's still sometimes a little bit that gets on me. So one of the things that I do to empty my bucket, and I find it very good to clear my head and to, I guess, yeah, blow the cobwebs out, is driving. So luckily, driving is one of the things that I do to empty my bucket. Long straight road, flat road preferably, <laughs> um, driving. So you know I might do three or four thousand k's for the weekend. That's quite good I mean yes it's physically draining so you're a little bit tired the next day when you get home but otherwise that is is something that I do gardening is another thing um, I thoroughly believe you can bury a lot of problems with dirt so <laughs> I um, I do like to get out in the garden and I certainly don't get to do that as much as I'd like to
2: let's tell us a bit about virtual psychologist
0: yeah so the virtual psychologist is an organization that I've um, worked quite closely with they provide a service to to rural Australia so Free support, and they are a crisis support because I'm not a crisis support service at all. So I will leave that to the professionals. Any blokes who do contact me, we always direct them to one of the professional services out there that are crisis support. And the virtual psychologist is a text-based system, and so what they do is answer texts and, and messages, and they are professionals on the end of the phone to do risk assessments on safety and things like that. And I think the the really good thing about the text-based system that the virtual psychologist runs is it's immediate. You've got a response there, unless they are hugely overrun at the time, um, you might have to wait a little bit for a response. But men can do that in their comfort zone, wherever they are in the country. If they've got service or um, Wi-Fi, they can text that service and it's immediate. So there's no going into your local GP and waiting for a mental health care plan or things like that. They may need to do that, but if they're in a tough spot, they can do that from their comfort zone, whether that's the farm shed, down the paddock, in the ute, doesn't matter. They've got that support there, and I think that's a a really important thing for these men, that they don't have to go out of their comfort zone to get that support. And because it's a text-based system, they can actually, they often feel more comfortable putting that into a text rather than talking face-to-face with someone. So I think we need a variety of services out there that work for the variety of people we have. Some people really like to go and sit face-to-face with someone and have that conversation. But the rural men that I talk to, I find most often, they they are uncomfortable with that situation. So that's why I'm a huge supporter of what the virtual psychologist does with the text-based system.
2: And then there's a program called Farm Sitters as well. If you need a bit of time off of your property what about that one? How's that one work?
0: Yeah, so farm sitters will will find people that they have uh, vetted through their system to to come and look after things on your place if you need to go for a break and maybe you need to go away for medical appointments or things like that. So we try and find organisations that that work for the rural people and and farm sitters is a great example because it's it's often really difficult to find someone that you trust or that is responsible enough to look after the you know the really important. Uh, business that you run. But I think the other thing with rural people, it's it's not just their business, that's their home. So it's it's all that, uh, that tangled web between business and home. Some people might have pets, chooks, horses, troughs, all sorts of things. So having someone that has, you know, basically gone through a, a process of elimination to find people who are trustworthy and, and responsible to do that work is, is a great service.
1: We've talked a lot about how important it is to understand the language of rural people and to speak the language of rural people. how What are the pathways for for kids who might be thinking about careers and in this space, what are the pathways for for rural kids to get into into the courses that you know that may make them really good workers in their community in this space? Yeah, look, I,
0: I strongly encourage um, more rural. Young people to get involved in in this sort of work because having that um, that background and that knowledge in in the rural sector, uh, regardless of where you come from, to be able to to speak the language of of these people that you're trying to help, I think is critically important. I, I have had some men say to me, you know, they went and saw this psychologist or counsellor, but. They had no idea where they came from or what they did, and so they've really got to start from grassroots to explain that to them and what they do and how they do it. So, I think look, the opportunities in this country for anyone to go to get an education and to do what they want are absolutely limitless. And I think it's it's a wonderful uh, country to get into anything you want to do. So it's not even just um, that that mental health sector any career in agriculture. There's there's so many great pathways and so many careers out there for people to even just come and ta- have a taste of of life in, in rural Australia. So I uh, strongly encourage people to to get into it, and especially young rural people and young rural men. We, we, we need a few more men in this space, I think, too.
2: And we do hear so much about mental health these days. It's very talked about. There are a lot of initiatives out there. COVID's really highlighted it. It's been one of the benefits of the pandemic, if there are any, how much are you seeing culture shift, especially among the men that you see day to day? Because we sort of part of it, we know we can talk to wear blue in the face and that's part of the part of the puzzle. But actually having that translate over to action and then generational change is the, the name of the game long term. So mm-hmm. how much are you seeing what we're talking about cut through and actually have that effect on people?
0: certainly is talked about and sometimes possibly too much, uh, even given though that's what I do, but it's, there, there's, a, there's a big change out there. I'm still seeing situations in rural Australia where there's a very uh, detailed conversation amongst a group of mates about mental health and about either what I've talked about or somebody else has talked about and how much they loved it and, and really getting into that nitty-gritty conversation. <clears throat> and then two weeks later, one of those guys takes his life and becomes a, one of the stats. And it's, you know, they've just had this really open conversation with their mates about this. And then suddenly they fall into this. So I think there's a lot that we don't understand about that process of perhaps struggling a bit and then becoming suicidal and having those suicidal thoughts I think we certainly need some some more work and more information in that space and I think there's still that that stigma out there which like I think it's ingrained in their DNA and are we going to change it uh, do we just need better services that work with it rather than try and change change the men as such let's change the way we talk to them is is one of the approaches well, I guess the approach I'm taking rather than trying to change these men in that inherent stigma thing because they can still be strong and tough and all the rest of it and, and get help for these for these issues that they face and particularly when, when they are really bogged. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough one, but probably still that that big stigma out there that it's it's not tough to to talk about this stuff or to go and seek help. So we're still not seeing this the help-seeking behavior that I'd like to see out there. But, you know, we've had some very, um, very public profile people who have put their hand up recently that, uh, you know, hats off to them. That's a huge step. And if we can see, I guess, more of that where people that are well-known are putting their hand up and saying, you know what, I'm just going through a tough time right now. I'm going to step back from this for a bit. So that I think that's a really good um, example to particularly a lot of the young men out there.
2: How optimistic are you?
0: I'm very optimistic because I don't give up very easily and I'm not sure whether I can change these numbers but I will have a red hot crack at it and I I guess one of the things that I have to tell myself all the time is that I can't save them all it's I just can't it's it's a bit of pill to swallow but sometimes the first emails and messages and phone calls I get on a Monday are from people I know or through the website of of someone you know, a list of people that have taken their life in the last week or over the weekend, and that's that's not always a good start to the week, I can tell you. So it's probably, you know, realising that I'm one person and I can't save them all, but I will do my darndest for any that do come across my path or that I manage to get in front of. So I'm very optimistic. I'm probably more stubborn than optimistic maybe.
1: There's a lot of literature out there about what are signs of potential suicidal thoughts in an individual, but are there are there s- s- signs that are sort of specific to, to these rural and regional men that we should be looking out for?
0: Yeah, I think some of the things that I certainly see most of, and there's heaps of different signs and symptoms, and these will change between areas, between demographics as well. But what I see a lot is, Increased use of drugs and alcohol is a big one. Another very common one for rural men would be quitting an activity that they've always enjoyed doing. So maybe they've always gone on a footy trip with their mates or maybe they go on a fishing trip with their mates or something and suddenly they stop doing that. A classic one for rural men is to start getting organised. So things like cleaning out the shed and um, you know, making lists, getting things done that have been on their to-do list for a fair while, they basically start getting organized. And, and that's a an absolute clincher um, yeah. sign for rural men in particular.
1: Grim pragmatism.
0: It can sometimes the, the signs and symptoms can be so slight and so subtle that they are hardly noticed. But when I talk about it in my presentation, I often have people come up and say, I've often thought, you know, when my son took his life two years ago, that, that there was no sign, there was there was no indicator. But now you've put that list up in front of me. He was doing three of those things, so it's it's looking out for those really subtle changes too is is quite important.
2: And as a loved loved one, when we notice those things, what's the next step?
0: I guess it's making time for that conversation. And if you are concerned, if you have any inkling whatsoever that this person might be thinking of taking their life, ask them straight out. And particularly with men, don't mince your words, don't beat around the bush, ask them straight out. Are you having suicidal thoughts? Are you thinking of killing yourself? I don't care how you say it, but say it straight out to men. um, They will often tell you. They will often tell you because they're hurting so much, they're just that relieved that someone notices, They will most often tell you, and I guess that's where the assessment of do we need lights and sirens, is this an imminent risk and danger, but get some support and some help from professionals. And I have certainly done this with the virtual psychologist if I have been in this situation where a bloke has said, yes, I am. So I will text them and say, okay, I need a risk assessment here. Um, I guess I'm fortunate that I actually have... Dervla's number. She's the founder of Virtual Psychologist, and there's been many times when I have rung her and said, Dervla, I have a man here. I need you to do a risk assessment. Do we need to go to a hospital now, or should we just book in for an appointment? Or the doctor's like, if it's a, an imminent risk of danger, we need to keep that person safe. So, getting some support, some professional help. Um, Whether if if in doubt, call an ambulance, call the police for a safe. You know, for them to come and assist with the situation depending on the severity of it but yeah it's it's a tough one from there on that's where it becomes a bit trickier and you do need to get some guidance i think
2: great advice um you've got a a powerful piece called the handshake that you read could you read that for us please yes (laughs) i
0: certainly can this (laughs) this is a poem i wrote for the men of rural (laughs) australia i guess because i get to shake a lot of hands as i travel around the country so This poem is called The Handshake, and it's very long, so I do have to read it, I'm sorry. He thrust his hand out boldly with a smile upon his face. Then glancing down, he pulled it back in shame and half disgrace. Sorry, love, my hand is way too dirty to shake the likes of yours. There's grease and dirt and God knows what on my rough old paws. His smile just briefly faded as he wiped them on his shirt. Mate, it won't bother me. I quickly said, it's just a bit of dirt. I wonder, did he even see the story in his hand? All the blisters, cuts and bruises from him working on the land, the bent and broken finger from when the mickey hit the gate, the cracked and blackened fingernail when he held a chisel for a mate. He may have seen those battle scars, but did he see the rest? The story of his life laid there, a toiler of the best. Those hands have cut the mulga, put out the licks and block, and from a muddy dam, they've pulled the dying stock. They guide the header through the crop over hectares ripened gold, then into church on Sunday, his partner's hand they hold. Embedded with black diesel grease and burrs from woolly sheep, they brush the prostock windscreens as he starts while others sleep. His hands have tied the trucky knots to hold the precious load, then they steer the massive road train as it rumbles down the road. They proudly taught his son just how to hold that cricket bat. They clean the trough, chew the horse and help a lady change a flat. Leather they have polished and tightened up the girth. They gently break the yearling colt and draw mud maps in the dirt. These hands have bled so many times he scarcely feels the pain. They pass the footy turn the snags and check the gauge for rain. That hand is locked in contracts. With his hand, he gives his word. They have shoveled mud around the wheels and saved a baby bird. Hands have waved his hat about, pushing winners up the race. They've held a tiny tea set cup to see the smile upon her face. Hands have relocated brown snake when it somehow gets inside. They have evacuated green frogs. And buried Fluffy when she died. Those hands have cracked a stock with and dressed a fly blonde sheep, and they rub his aching back as he dreams about some sleep. Tough hands have dug the post holes and welded up the gate. They've rolled a fleece, cheered his team, and passed a cold one to a mate. They've wiped the sweat, chased the flies, and even broken up a fight. they tap tapped the calculator buttons in his office late at night. Looking cows, digging grids and carrying bags of grain. He has pressed those hands together as he muttered prayers for rain. They fix the pump, start the siphons and scratch his troubled head. Then they rub his weary eyes as he finally heads to bed. These hands untangle Christmas lights, kids and tinsel everywhere. They check the crop as sprouting as they scratch into the ground. They tend the vines, they pick the fruit and they crush the sweetest cane. Then they hold the tiny push bike seat and cradle children in their pain. Hands that lay a wreath for granddad as the haunting last post plays, they wrap around his family as he waits for better days. With these hands, he fought the bushfire to save his neighbour's crop. They've tied his daughter's laces and thrown bales up on top. Those hands have fixed the windmill and split the ironbark log. They've shorn the rams, checked the crops and cupped water for his dog. To safety, they had pulled him up the stockyard rail and they wiped away his silent tears when the crop got smashed with hail. He looked a little ill at ease as he stood there in the yard, especially when I grabbed his hand and shook it long and hard. I hope he understood that I saw much more than grime. Mate, it's just a bit of dirt, I added one more time. Looking past the grease and dirt, I see his joy, his pain, his tears. If you're watching with your heart, you'll see the story in his years.
1: Beautiful stuff. It's amazing how much of what we've already talked about in previous episodes has sort of popped up again through that. It's really insightful. So what are you really
2: trying to say with that poem, Mary? It might seem obvious, but obviously comes from the heart and a deep knowledge of how people think in this industry. You just tell us what that means to you personally, that piece.
0: It's me trying to say that there's there's a lot more to me than meets the eye, that there's so much hard work out there, there's so much emotion out there that, you know, they, they turn their hand to most things and, you know, they can work some long, hard hours and sometimes for very little thanks. And I guess it's trying to recognise the diverse things that men do, particularly in rural Australia, you know, they've, they've just got this these rough, tough hands to show for it. So, yeah, that's that's what it's about for me.
1: It's
2: a lovely poem. It's very well, well written and I think like we'd just like to thank you for the work that you do. It's incredible the, the impact that you have out there and I know you're a very humble woman who wouldn't want much thanks, but I think we're very lucky that we've got you out there working with these men and showing people a different way because obviously it's extremely necessary and a very difficult message to get across and I think there's none better than you to help to do that and it's a team effort obviously you can't put it all on your shoulders but you do incredible work so thanks for everything you do out there
0: thank you very much it is certainly very rewarding work and if we save one bloke it's all worth it
2: exactly exactly right Uh, Thanks so much for for joining us and and giving us all that
1: information. That was uh, super insightful and, and very engaging. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Head to the Wine Grape Council of South Australia website for links and further resources. This is part of a bigger conversation, so feel free to share this podcast with your mates and look after yourselves. Cheers.